branch discourse. So we're going to be going there tonight, but first let's pray. So Father, we come before you this evening in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to the foot of your throne, Lord, and we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, ears, so that we hear your word, Lord, and gain all that you have for us this evening, Lord. Father, I'd ask that you bless all these people here this morning and their, this evening, rather, and their coming and going. And Lord, just I'd ask that you supply me to do your will, to do your work, Lord, to your glory. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So the vine and branch discourse, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Um, I think it's good to do a little background in what I call setting before we go into these verses so that we can gain an understanding of all that's occurred up to this point with Jesus and the disciples. So let's start with a little, little setting. It's Passover and Jesus and the, the disciples are in the upper room. It is the Lord's Supper. It is his last supper with us until kingdom come. If you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus said, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, when I was reading that, that particular scripture, there's a couple of words that jumped out at me. Jesus said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. So <clears throat> I couldn't quite figure out the words to sum up the emotions that it, that it brought to me. It actually made my head swim a little bit when I thought about it. Um, with fervent desire. This is real love. Jesus was waiting and wanting to lay down his life for us. This virtually actually just really kind of floored me when I thought about it. Let me give you some words. Here's some words, some synonyms for, for fervent. Impassioned. Passionate. Intense. Then there's the word desired. Here are a few synonyms for that one. Crave, want, yearning. Now, what other king or leader or religious person, whatever, makes this kind of sacrifice for their subjects? There are none. Jesus has told disciples what is about to occur to him. And just think about that for a minute. I think we take lightly. I think we do take lightly sometimes the fact that Jesus went on the cross and what he faced we know he's God, and we know that he's divine. But Jesus was also a man. He was also flesh and blood. So here he is telling the disciples, I want to do this. I've waited for this. I've waited for this moment to come. I've waited for what's about to happen. He was happy about it. But you've got to know that on the, same, on the same level that he knew what he was facing but yet he was willing to lay down his life for us. So we have to think about, again, what king, what person, who does this? Who would do this for anybody? Only Jesus, only our Lord and Savior. Now, by this time, Judas Iscariot has been sent away. Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. That's in John 13, 27. And then if you can imagine... With all that's going on and all that Jesus is telling the disciples, they argued about who would be the greatest among them. So it's in Luke 22, verse 24 through 30. Let me just read that one real quick. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to who, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Again, I find it amazing that they would have this petty argument 
after Jesus is telling them what's going to occur and what is about to happen. They had this argument. Told him he was about to be betrayed. It's kind of like if you ever ever seen that movie um, Up. Remember the dog and Up that talked? I don't know if everybody's familiar with that movie. Remember how he had those squirrel moments? It's kind of like Jesus is doing this and the disciples all of a sudden have this squirrel moment where they're like, who's the best amongst? And here's the Lord, you know, pouring his heart out to him. But Jesus doesn't beat him up about it in his loving way. He does what I call a bit of branch dressing. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But he does some dressing here. Look at Luke 22, 25 through 27. And he said to them, this is what Jesus said to him. The king, the kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors let me just stop there for one quick moment so we heard jesus say what he wanted to do for us with fervent desire and yet here are these people that have authority over other people they call them benefactors what do they do for them what does a benefactor do for you he certainly doesn't lay down life for you but Jesus went on to say, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is, who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table. Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. He's trying to explain to them what it really means to serve and what it really means to be what is great. It's not always where you are or who you are. It's what you do. It's what you do for people, too, that makes you great or not great. Again, Jesus has told Peter about his coming trial. In Mark 14, 29 and 30, Peter said to Jesus, he said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, Peter's in denial about this. And Jesus, over in Luke twenty-two thirty-one to 32, he explains why. And he gives Peter the, the resolution around this. And he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter, I'm not sure at this point, is quite getting it. Is look over at John 13, 37, and 38. I know I got you going back and forth. But here's what Peter said. He said, Lord, can I, why can I not follow you now? And boy, here's where he really sort of stepped in it. He said, I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him and said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, we're going to see about this laying down of life later on and what it really means. But, again, Jesus is doing his work. He's pruning the branches and cleaning them up. And this is part of it. And finally, Jesus prepares them for the trip to Gethsemane. Now, <clears throat> last week, Daryl ended on uh, chapter 14 at verse 31. And here's what Jesus said in that verse. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. As the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now, Jesus gives us a hint here of what love and abiding looks like. Regardless of what he is facing, he is going to do as the Father 
has commanded. Now remember, we, we, we know Jesus is divine, but he's also a man. And he knows where he's about to go. He knows what's in front of him. I mean, how many of us, I mean, we face some terrible things, but how many of us are able to keep this light shining the way he did as he's getting ready to go? And we know where he's headed when he says, arise and let's go. So between chapter, between chapter 14 in John, this verse 31, and chapter 18 in John, verse 1, Jesus continues to give doctrine to the disciples. Now, the Lord said, arise and let us go from here. And I'm sure that's what they did when he said that. When he commanded them, let's get up, go, let, they got up and went. And the Holy Spirit inspired John to put that verse right where it is. So we know we, they got up and left the upper room. Now, what I get from this passage of our Lord, I see him and the, the, the disciples marching. It's about a half mile I think I read it's about a half mile from where they were in the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. But I get a picture of Jesus walking in the evening with his disciples. And he's continuing to deliver doctrine facing the cross. He's continuing to do what the Father has commanded him to do. He's continuing to speak the word and teach them on his way to the cross. That's the picture I get of them walking uh, in the evening or even in the night um, as they head toward to uh, Gethsemane. Jesus, at this point, has actually, he's laid his life down at this point. He's going to the cross. On the way to the cross, on the way to Gethsemane, they would cross the brook Kidron, which this was Passover. Right? This was Passover, and they didn't have fancy sewers around there like we have. So that brook Kidron probably was flowing red with all the lambs that had been slain for Passover. I'm sure that water was running red. So Jesus had to cross that brook. So in 18.1, John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Jesus would cross that brook. He would cross that brook and he would be the lamb for all mankind, once and for all, for all mankind. Now, not until Jesus and the disciples entered the garden of Gethsemane would Jesus stop and pray for himself and minister to the man Jesus, to the flesh Jesus. He got into the Garden of Gethsemane, and here's what Matthew 26, 39 says. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he prayed in the flesh. We know that in the scriptures, it said he, he sweated uh, blood, large blood drops, right? We know that. So this was his flesh crying out. But nevertheless, he said, not as I will, but as you will. He's still doing the Father's will. And this, 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 this concept, if you will, this principle, it'll start to play out once we get into the scriptures. Again, the Gospel of John focuses on the divinity of, of Jesus. In Matthew, over in Matthew, we get a glimpse of his humanity. Even so, he continued to abide in the Father and, and to do the Father's will. I believe there are times when we all face um, a cross of some sort in our lives. And I think Jesus sets the example for us here as his followers, as his disciples. You know, we need to keep that light shining. You know, a lot of times we want to get mad and walk away and just be done with it. We don't want nothing else to do with it. But we got to keep that light shining. He commands us here. This is what love is about. He commands us to keep that light shining and keep going on, keep doing the Father's will. 
even in the face of adversity. And uh, I doubt we face any, uh, anything like Jesus faced, but we do face adverse, adversity, and in our own way, it is a cross. They can be a cross. Jesus said in John eight twenty nine, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. For I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. See, he's, he keeps reiterating, I'm doing the Father's will. I'm going to do the Father's will. And that's what we need to do. So let's read the scriptures now. So I'm going to start with uh, chapter 15, verse 1. I'll read through all of them. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither, neither can you unless, unless you abide in me. In verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and it is withered. And they are gathered together and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Verse nine, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Let me stop right there for a minute. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, but these words are for us today. Okay? So any, as I go along, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's talking to us. That's, what, that's why these words are written down. That's why John wrote this. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Doesn't get much clearer than that. It's pretty clear. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So in verse 14, Jesus makes it clear. There, there are conditions here. There's conditions. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. This is in red in the Bible. This is Jesus' words. You want the Lord to be your friend, do what he tells you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. Now, how awesome is that? All the things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so what I've done is I've broken the, the scriptures into two, what they call subdivisions. There's verses one through eight, and I have uh, verses nine uh, through 15. Now, in, <clears throat> there's, there's, uh, in verses uh, 1 through 8, the Lord is using this wine and branch allegory to describe or display his relationship with the Father 
and his role in relationship with the disciples. And over in verses 9, as we go into verse 9 and 15, um, Jesus sets conditions. He sets the rules and regulations for this relationship to work. And he's clear about it. So let's, let's have a look at these verses. Remember I said he uses an allegory to display his relationship uh, with the Father and the disciples. The, an, an allegory is a word picture using symbols to depict reality. So this relationship with Jesus, it's real. It's not, it's not maybe or this is what I want to be or maybe could it be. This is the real deal. So he uses this allegory to picture that. And they probably had lots of vines growing around there. So he's probably walking along and he's talking and going, you guys, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. He, I, could, I could imagine him using that allegory as they walked. Now, <laughs> I've read the, I, I'm sure everybody's heard the vine and the branches, right? But when I started to read this, <laughs> it jumped out at me that in verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So I underline the word true here because it makes the vine and branch allegory, takes it to a whole different level. So it's easy to understand the words vine and branch and the symbols and what they mean. In, in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. But what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the true vine? So... If Jesus is the true vine, there must be other vines or were other vines that are false. Okay? So I stress the words are false because these scriptures speak to us today. There's vines out there today that people want to latch on to that are false. So these words are still speaking to us. So I say present tense that are false, not were false, are false. In the Old Testament, God used this allegory many times. We need to review those to gain some understanding of what our Lord is conveying to us. Now, I make the argument that Adam was a vine. I use Adam as, as, as a symbol. Look at Genesis 8.4. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, if you're with me on that one, we know that that ended with the fall. So that, that original vine petered out, so to speak. Moving forward, let's look at Psalm 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Psalmist, the psalmist takes us back to the beginning when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, planted them in Canaan. And in this case, Israel is the vine. In this particular sense, Israel is the vine. Let's look at Jeremiah 2.21. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? In this verse, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is rebuking Israel for its corruption. In this passage, Israel is the vine gone sour or bad, if you will. And then finally, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 5. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. On a very fertile hill, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? 
Again, through the prophet Isaiah, God rebukes the people of Israel for their sins using the allegory of the vine. So Jesus is telling the disciples and us, he is the vine planted by the Father. Not of men, but he is of heavenly origin. The true vine that is pure and will yield the good fruit. Our Father will be the vine dresser. Not men, but the Son of God. The Father will do the pruning and the watering, not men. So we talked about, I said, I said, the, I talked about false vines, present tense. So let's look at Jeremiah 12.10 and see what Jeremiah said, what the Lord had Jeremiah say. Many shepherds, this is Jeremiah 12.10, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion and they have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. So these vines that the prophets speak to were people. They produce good fruit for a while and then fail. So God then has given his son the only pure seed to become a holy vine from heaven. So Jesus is the, then is the true vine of God. The true vine that will not perish because of poor gardening by men, poor shepherds, but yield a good fruit from the work of the spirit of truth by the Father. Jesus goes on using the allegory to further define his relationship with the disciples. In verses 2 and 3, when Jesus tells the disciples that they are already clean, he is referring to the vine dresser. John 15, verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already be clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This allegory works best if we visualize what he means. Remember the father is the vine dresser. Well, the disciples have been dressed. And they had the, when they had the um, squirrel moment and Jesus corrected them. That's pruning and dressing. And so during their time with Jesus, he's been dressing them. He has been pruning the disciples all along. All the rebukes, all the explanations through parables have prepared them. His words, for example, look at Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. He said to them, but what do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven. So no man told Simon this, nothing anybody said. It was revealed to him by the father. The pruning and dressing is cutting and sometimes it's painful for us. But all these things dressed them and prepared them to bear fruit. Their worldly knowledge had been cut away. And the knowledge of the kingdom of God has grown as new fruit in its place. In verses 4 through 8, Jesus clarifies for the disciples and us what it means to abide. And this concept appears in the New Testament in several places. So let's look at John 8.31. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone. For I always, he says it again, I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word. You are my disciples indeed. Again, as the father taught him, Jesus makes it clear. Everything that he gets, he gets from the father. And he has said many times, I abide in the father and the father in me. 
He has said that many times. So he's also told his disciples, he told them, you're clean because of the word I speak to you. If they abide in him and in, in Jesus, right, and he abides in them, then he's with them. And they do as he's commanded them. This keeps playing over and over. Jesus is describing what it looks like to abide. He tells, <clears throat> he tells disciples in us what he does. We can sum this up into one word, obedience. Jesus says he will be with us just as the father is with him. Look at Matthew eight, uh, 28 verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And so I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I believe these passages uh, comprise what... Uh, what is called the Great Commission. As I was writing this, I recall the Pope as he addressed our Congress. And I think he had, I think that was, the, was that the first time? I believe it might have been the first time he'd ever actually addressed Congress. So what an opportunity to talk to the nation. What an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord. But what did he do? Instead of speaking to them about the kingdom of heaven, he spoke of worldly issues and the affairs of men. Instead of speaking about our Savior and what he's done for us, he spoke of men and what they could do for the earth. So this is a picture of the exact opposite of what Jesus has commanded us to do. Jesus said, go forth and, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son teaching them to observe all things that he has commanded. So this is the exact opposite. We don't want to do this. If we are to be obedient, we will do the things that please our Lord and speak the words he has taught us. We will remain true to the Great Commission. In these verses, Jesus speaks to actions that manifest what abiding is. I keep going back to that. <clears throat> now, just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a little bit of a, what I consider to be a bit of a rabbit trail. But I think it's important. So look at Mark 11, 22 through 24. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, you know that one, right? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. How good is that? Now, I know I hear a lot of people use that. I hear a lot of ministers use that. And, you know, some of them they call the, what is it? Nab and claim. Yes, name and claim it. They use this. They use this. But let's, let's think about it for a minute. A lot of people get trapped here trying to throw mountains around. But I caution you as X is always talking about context, context, context. Remember, these Gospels all work together to provide us a complete understanding of the Lord's word. But you see here in, Jesus, here in John, Jesus sets the conditions. He sets the conditions and requirements. Yes, requirements. He uses the beautiful vine and branch allegory to make it clear. You see, it's the same reason that apple trees bear only apples and fig trees bear only figs and so forth. Let me stop right there for a minute because I know there's some folks. Somebody said to me when I was talking about this, there's a tree called a salad tree. It has all different kinds of fruit on it. That's a man-made tree. That tree is grafted. It's not the true vine. We're talking about the true vine. All right? It's the sap flowing in the tree that makes it what it is. So it only bears a certain kind of fruit. You see, if you abide in the vine, 
or if you're obedient, you will only bear the vine's fruits. You will only ask to bear the fruit which glorifies the Father. Jesus said that. You will only ask for the fruit which glorifies the Father because that's what the vine commands you to do. It's easier said than done for sure. But that's what Jesus is commanding us to do. In 2 John 1, 9 and verse 10, it says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Whoever transgresses does not <clears throat> and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. The doctrine of Christ. Abide in me and I in you. Let's go on to see more about this. So my, my kind of final note in these these particular verses is, is don't get caught trying to toss mountains around without first making sure you're abiding and obedient. Now the Lord is sovereign and he answers prayers as he sees fit. But we should look and strive to be in accordance with his will for his glory. Always. Now, <clears throat> I'll tell you a real quick story. Um, and the story is not about me or anything that I've done, but it just, it was kind of, it, it was a small example of, I think, bearing fruit from the vine. So Roberta and I were, went to visit a brother in the hospital and um, we got up on the floor where, where his room was and Roberta had to go to the restroom. So I was out there walking around and there was a young lady out there and she was, had tracks. She was giving people tracks. She walked up to me and she looked me in the eye and she said, do you know the Lord Jesus? And so for a moment, I'll be honest with you, for a moment I thought, I don't want to be bothered. I did. I thought, how, but how can I answer this, this young lady so that she knows I do know the Lord Jesus? How can I answer her? I answered her the only way I could. I said, the Lord Jesus is my Lord and Savior. She looked back at me and she said, you know what? You have the spirit in you. She said, there's no way you could have came back like that without having the spirit in you. And at that particular moment in time, I walked away and I thought about it. I said, well, I never heard that like that before. Because people lie. People can tell you anything. But I wonder how many people will lie and say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't know if I've seen anybody do that. Okay? So, sometimes you bear fruit that's little grapes and sometimes there's big apples and you know but it all works so let's go on to verses 9 to 15 now in these verses jesus is going to set the requirements and the conditions all right and he's clear about it last week daryl started with chapter 14 verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments and Daryl spoke a lot about agape because that's what's at work here. It's agape. But it's a little bit different. I think it's a little bit different than what we normally think of. So let's just keep going. We need to revisit love again because Jesus continues to place love as a foundation and a condition. In these verses, Jesus goes on to explain his relationship with the disciples and how it's changed. Remember, he said, you are my friends now not servants. His new relationship with the disciples comes with expectations and commands. He delivers his expectations of those who are his disciples. This relationship is built on love. But do we know what this love looks like? Daryl spoke about agape last week. I believe Jesus is speaking of some very particular, what I call dimensions of agape. And in verses 9 through 15 of John, Jesus focuses on the dimensions of what I will call respect, devotion, and self-sacrifice. 
Look at Genesis 22, 2. It's Abraham. Then he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay. Now, I know there's people probably sitting there going, well, what about Ishmael? Did he love Ishmael? Was he the only son? I know we've heard that argument. But you know what? What does the scripture say right here? What the scripture says, take now your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I don't think it's saying that he didn't love Ishmael. All right. But this is a little bit different love. There's phileo here, no doubt about it. But there's some agape going on on both sides. I believe all the dimensions of love are spoken to in this verse. There's a phileo, Abraham's affection for his only son. And then there's Abraham's agape on both sides, commitment and sacrifice to the will of God. Commitment to Isaac, commitment to the, to the will of God. Abraham had to put all his emotions aside in that, here's that word again, obedience to God. He had to put all of his emotions aside sacrifice, respect, and commitment took priority over everything else. So now let's go back to Peter. Let's look at Peter's predicament and try to understand how, we, how this phileo and agape works and how agape is the foundation for what Jesus is talking about when he speaks to love. So we, you know where we're going. We're going to go to John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Okay, let me stop real quick here. The reference is back to Mark 14, 29 through 31. I'm not going to go there, but this is where Peter was saying, Lord, I'm going to go with you. And no matter how, if everybody else falls away, I'm staying with you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's kind of, He's kind of rubbing Peter's nose in it a little bit. He's saying, do you love me more than these? Well, now, let's see. He said to him, Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He, Simon said to the Lord, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said, he said it to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I'm not sure Peter got it right at that particular moment in time. I'm, I, I, I tend to believe he still struggled with it, but the vine dresser again was at work because that was painful for Peter. That was painful. Jesus reminded him, you said you wouldn't, you, you, you know, you're going to stick with me, but you didn't. So a little bit, a little bit of dressing there going on. And I know it was painful, but here's what Peter says in first Peter four one. I think he got it later on. Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Whose mind? Christ, the mind of Christ. So he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So I think Peter's finally getting it. He finally got it over there. I don't know how many years away that was, but he finally got it. Peter clearly understands that we must lay down our lives in the flesh and the spirit, the old spirit, to obey God. I think he, he got it. In John fifteen ten, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And now here it comes. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we finally get to this verse again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And what did Jesus do? He laid his life down. He laid his life down for his, for his, his disciples, for us. He showed us love. 
That's the kind of love. He's committed to us. What did he say way back there? He said, I have fervently desired to have this supper. So this is the kind, this is agape, but this is, this is commitment. This is obedience. He said, as the, as the Father has commanded me, I, so I do. This is, what, this is the love we're talking about. And again, our Lord is talking to that obedience dimension of agape love. In verse 12, Jesus sets the expectation for the disciples and us when he commands us to love one another as he loves us and we have him as we have him as he loves the father and the father love him. It's the same thing. So as he loves us, he's committed to us and has done things for us. He's, he's shown his love for the father and what he does. And here's how I do it. I follow his commands. I always do the things that please him. It's what he's telling us. He wants us, me and you, us, to do the same thing with our brothers. Do the same things that will please Jesus as he pleases the Father. That's what he's talking about. And finally now, in verses 13, 14, and 15, Jesus says, he says it, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. <laughs> Here's, here it is. It's clear again, right? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It's not like, oh, you're my friends if, you, if you're nice to one another or if you're nice and, you know. No, he says, you want to be my friend? Do what I tell you to do. That's what he says, all right? No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all, thi all things that I heard from my father. I have made known to you, us. We have the word here. He made it known to us. So we know. No, there's no confusion here. It's clear. This summation points to the cross and our Lord's sacrifice for us. He leaves with the command for us to be willing to lay down our lives for his sake and for the sake of those who follow and become disciples. Remember the Great Commission. We must be willing to lay down the flesh and the spirit of the old man and allow the goodness of the true vine in us to produce the good fruit for the glory of the Father. Not to put bags of money on the table, but to, to the Father's glory to do his bidding. So to close now, a little further grounding and put some things into perspective, let's, let's reflect for a moment on who Jesus is. To do this, let's look at a few scriptures. First, we'll look at John 1, 1 through 3. Everybody knows that one, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word with God. There you go. He was in the beginning, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing made that was made. That's who Jesus is. He's always been doing the Father's work. He, did, he built the creation at the command of his Father. He's always been doing his work. Now Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. One more. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. So Jesus is always about the Father's work. Jesus is, he was, and he always will be. He is to come. Through his words, the heavens and the earth were created. He left his heavenly abode to dwell among us. In John 1, 14, he, it's, John says it. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. It's amazing that right before our eyes, we see this prophecy continuing to be fulfilled. Jesus is continuing his creation. He's pruning and he's dressing us. He's always cleaning us, cutting off the bad stuff so we can grow good fruit. He's always doing that until the very end. He'll do it. And probably after kingdom come, there's more because he's a creator. That's what the father is about. He prunes and dresses us, the branches, to bring forth the good fruit for the kingdom. We need to continually ask ourselves, are we allowing the spirit of truth to do its work in us? Wherever the Lord has planted us, we must strive to abide in him who created us. We must be a branch that remains clean, that we may produce good fruit for his glory. How fortunate are we as a generation to see God's word come to life and and bear fruit. In this gospel, we started earlier in this gospel of John, we've gone from John the Baptist's admonition, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So John talked about that highway, make make straight the way for the Lord. He's talking about making straight for the, a way straight for the Lord to come into our hearts, to come into us, to abide. And here we are now. Jesus is bidding us now, abide in me and I in you. That's what he's saying to us right now. Abide in me and I in you. So I'll leave you with the questions. Do you, me, we abide in the Lord? We need to keep asking ourselves, are we obedient? Are we committed to the Lord's will? And will what we do be to the Father's glory? Keep asking those questions. Lord, we thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for letting us come before you, Lord, to hear your word. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. Lord. Father, I just ask you this evening to bless all the men and women here as they leave and go out, Lord. Go before them. The rest of the week, tonight, tomorrow, Lord, go before us all. Hold us in the light, in the shadow of your light, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.